New Creation Realities. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 3. Father, once again, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you said that the entrance of your word brings light, that it will bring understanding. It will bring understanding to the simple. So once again today, Father, we incline our ears unto your word. We choose to not let this word depart from before our sight. But we're going to guard our hearts. We're going to guard this word in our hearts. And we're going to allow it to produce what it is intended to produce. Now, Father, as we approach this subject of righteousness, right standing with you. Again, I really need your help, Father, because this is such a deep thing. Such a powerful truth that our heads, our heads have real difficulty sometimes actually believing what the scripture says. But Lord, we trust the Holy Spirit. He is the teacher of the church, that he will guide us into the truth. And as we said earlier, that he will cause this truth to become everything that it's intended to become. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you, like I said, to start back at lesson two just for a moment because I want to go just through the, uh, some of this. I, I do have to move kind of quickly. I keep saying that, never do. But this thing about being a new creation, like I said, uh, there'll be a lot of similarities in this course that there were also when I taught on the grace of God and that grace course. Um, but the fact of the matter is, it's because there's probably no greater revelation, like I said, than understanding what it means to have right standing with God right now. The whole gospel of Romans is a whole depiction of Paul trying to communicate this to the people of God in Rome. Um, that's why when I taught on grace, like I said, we spoke to how, for example, here in London, uh, the great, great minister who was the minister of Westminster Chapel for many years from 1938 to 1968, Martin Lloyd-Jones, for the last 12 years of his life, he taught on nothing but the book of Romans. And uh, I think if you'll remember, those of you that were part of the first course, you know, he was a staunch Calvinist. He was considered, he was called, quote, a conservative to the highest degree. And yet he said that Romans 6, 1, Romans 6, 1 is where it says, shall we therefore continue in sin that God's grace may abound, God forbid. And he made this statement that's always stuck with me. He said, you really have to hear that. If we are actually preaching the truth of what God has done in Christ, this is what he said. He said, well, this is what Paul meant by Romans 6, 1. Shall we continue in sin? He said, if we're actually preaching the truth of what God has done in Christ, that question will always arise. Because when you preach the truth about what God has done in Christ, it sounds like we can continue in sin. And he said, this is what he said. He said, all ministers need to know that Romans 6, 1 is actually a proof of whether or not you are preaching the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you are actually preaching the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, there will always be that opportunity for misunderstanding that we can continue in sin, that God's grace may abound. Because again, what God has done in Christ is literally, it is too good to be true. And it again is so good that most people 
live their whole lives fighting for ways to not believe it, even though they don't realize that's what they're doing. Now, I want you to turn to Romans, the first chapter, just for a moment here, like I said, and then we're going to skate through some of these verses that we've already gone through just for a moment. Where Paul starts this whole thing, and again, you guys know everything I read is from the Amplified Bible. Uh, right in the beginning, Paul said, and I'll just read from verse 1 just for a moment here. Romans 1, verse 1. He said, From Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, called to be an apostle, set apart to preach the gospel. He was set apart to preach the gospel, the good news of and from God. Verse 2, which he promised in advance long ago through his prophets in the sacred scriptures. Verse 3, the gospel regarding his son who as to the flesh, his human nature, was descended from David. And as to his divine nature, according to the spirit of holiness, he was openly designated as the Son of God in power in a striking, triumphant, and miraculous manner by his resurrection from the dead, even Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's just starting the whole book of Romans by making this declaration of, again, that this apostleship was granted to him to preach this truth. And verse 5, Paul said, it is through him that we have this grace, that we have received this grace, this unmerited favor, and our apostleship, so that we could promote obedience to the faith and make disciples for his namesake among all the nations. Now, he goes on to say a lot more, but I want you to turn here to verse 13. Paul's talking about how he longs to come to Rome, how he's been longing for a long time to actually get to the church at Rome. It's very interesting when you study this, I, and because Rome was one of the most evil, wicked, lascivious cities of the earth at that time. And again, I, I don't know how to communicate this. It's interesting when you think about the fact that Paul in the entire book of Romans does not confront all of the crime that's in Rome. He doesn't confront all the lust and the vice and the perversion that's in Rome. It's almost as if he thinks it's not that this is not his imperative. In other words, it's not what he's called to do right now. He's called to preach to these people the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because Again, you may, what I'm trying to get at is this. It's remember when we taught on grace, it's where Jesus said in John, he said the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And you see that principle throughout all scripture that the word grace always precedes truth because it's the revelation of God's grace that qualifies you to expound the truth, okay? And it's interesting because like I said in the book of Romans, he goes straight to this thing. The whole book of Romans is an exposition on teaching us the fact that because of Christ, we have not based upon our behavior. And this is, again, is so critical, man. It's because I'm telling you, 98% of the churches do not communicate this from the pulpit. That our right standing with God is not based upon our behavior. It's based upon Christ's behavior and our faith in how he behaved. Paul said, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it's, it's critical because, again, we are prone as human beings to get, as they say, the, you know the old saying, we get the cart before the horses. In other words, we're so busy trying to be right so that we can live for God that we don't realize that we have been made right so that we might live for God, might be able to live for God. But here in, in Romans 
1.13, he said, I want you to know, brethren, that many times I have planned and intended to come to you, though thus far I have been hindered and prevented in order that I might have some fruit among you. Verse 14, both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the cultured and to the uncultured, both to the wise and the foolish, I have an obligation to discharge and a duty to perform and a debt to pay. Verse 15, so for my part, I am willing and eagerly ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now here it's just verse 16, 17, and 18 that I want to read, then we'll get right to the outlines. And he said again, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, for it is God's power working unto salvation. Now, like I said, this and when I taught on grace, we took it out a lot further. But in the King James, it simply says this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, again, you have to say that out loud about 2000 times before you begin to understand what he's communicating. Because salvation, again, is the all inclusive word of scripture that means healing, peace of mind, salvation and deliverance. And he said, I'm not ashamed of preaching the gospel because he said it's the good news that is the dunamis, that is the power to get people free. It's the good news that makes people free, not the bad news. It's not highlighting people's sin, highlighting where people are wrong. It's highlighting where Christ was good. And it's highlighting what God has done in Christ that is intended, Romans 1, Romans 2, 4. It is the goodness of God, remember, that's intended to draw men's hearts and minds to repentance. And we just always get it backwards. We preach sin instead of preaching Christ. And we're called to preach Christ and him raised from the dead. But he said here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of, of the good news of Christ, for it is God's power. It is God's power working unto salvation for deliverance from eternal death to everyone who believes with a personal trust and a confident surrender and a firm alliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But now listen to verse 17. For in the gospel, now this whole thing that we're studying is the gospel, the good news. What did Jesus come to do? But listen to what Paul's trying to say. And then, like I said, we'll get to the outline. He said, in this gospel, something is revealed. Everybody say revealed. revealed. He said, in the gospel, something is revealed. And of course, that, that Greek word is apocalypsis. Is, it's where we get the word revelation. It means to take the cover off. But he said, for in the gospel... He said, a righteousness, righteousness, which God ascribes, a righteousness, which God ascribes is, he said, revealed that both springs from faith. Now, here's where it says differently in the Amplified than it will in the King James and the NIV. And this is what the lexicons say. He said, for in the gospel, there's a righteousness which God ascribes that is revealed that springs from faith. And then it says this, and it leads to more faith. Disclosed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith is what it says here. As it is written, the man who through faith is just and upright shall live and shall live by faith. Now, let me try to just break that down just, just for a moment. What Paul is saying is this. He said, in the gospel of what God's actually done in Christ, he said, there's revealed 
a right standing, because remember the, de- the definition of the word righteousness, righteousness in and of itself is an old English word that does simply mean right standing, to have right standing with someone. Again, our definition of righteousness from the outline is righteousness is the ability to stand in the very presence of God without any sense of guilt or inferiority whatsoever. <laughs> That's incredible. But he said, I'm not ashamed to preach unto you this good news. He said, because in this gospel, he said, is revealed a right standing with God, which God ascribes to people. In other words, he says, it's not something they are. What's revealed is something God has done. God has ascribed or imputed right standing to people through their faith in Jesus Christ. But now this is why it gets so important. He said, and we're going to, like I said, walk through this a lot. So in Christ, like the whole basic scripture of this whole course is, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, for if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become brand new because we're the righteousness of God. We're new creations. But what he's saying here in Romans 1, 17, 16 and 17 is that he said, and this is why, why we have to teach this subject over and over again. He said that through faith, you enter into a relationship where you are right with God, not based upon your behavior. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? But based upon your faith in Jesus Christ, that righteousness is ascribed to you. You are righteous in God's eyes. But again, that's why we have to keep differentiating because our minds, when we hear that, we keep thinking about our behavior because most of our Christian lives we've been taught in the name of being taught holiness, we're really being taught behavior modification. But this is the point. He said, for therein is a righteousness of God revealed from faith that arouses to more faith. And it's an amazing thing when you read it in a a literal Greek testament it says the revel- what it says is this, the revelation of having been made right with God is what leads you to living right for God. I mean, it's so simple, but you have to hear that because you don't get right first. God knows, knows us well enough to know that you never will get right first. So and this is what grace is. He's made us right by virtue of what his son did and by virtue of our faith in what his son did. Now that is good news. I don't know if anybody else cares, but it's good news. <laughs> That's good news. And now back to the outline, like I said. Now when we study this, like I said, it gets heavy because we begin to find out what our real purpose of life is. And like I said, to understand the new creation and what we tried to talk about this first day last week was to really understand the new creation you have to ask yourself about what the original creation was like, okay? Now, so I'm just gonna run through these because we did it last week, but so I, we just put the nature of man before the fall, and I'm just gonna read the highlights. I'm not gonna read the passages. This is on page nine. The nature of man before the fall, we were masters of the earth. By we, I mean Adam and Eve before they fell. Mankind was master. God made them the master of the earth, did he not? Isn't that true? And then down here, it says in Isaiah 43, 7, I went through that word study about how the fact that it says we were created for his glory. 
And there's a word study there for you to go on, but it's an incredible thing to see because it says that God brought us into existence. God literally breathed us back into existence. We'll read scripture today where it says we have been recreated in Christ Jesus. That he actually breathed us into existence not to be, listen, listen, not to be representative, but to be representational. In other words, this is what really upsets a lot of folks. <laughs> Much more than just saying we are a Christian and representing Christianity, his intent was that somehow we be little gods in the earth. Now, trust me, like I said, the moment you say that, I know of all the junk that comes into your head. Like I said last week when we finished, I know that the, how people, you see, any truth, you do, you do understand that almost every error there is, is a truth that's taken to an extreme. That's something to teach you in any good, good college, good school or what have you, whether even in philosophy or ethic of thought. But almost every error is a truth that's been taken to an extreme. So hell delights in taking things to extremes. That's where cults come from, okay? So I'll tell you that's the truth for sure. That's where cults come from. Uh, some of these guys that have been insane got insane through taking Bible truths to an extreme. So we then find ourselves in a difficult situation. What do you do then? Not teach the truth because of the few people that have messed it up and perverted it and prostituted it? Or do you do your best to teach the truth and still try to communicate to people? This is why, again, we try to lay the groundwork before you get to this stuff about understanding the love of God and what it means to have good character before him and walk in integrity and be submitted to one another so that if you do start to get off the rails, <laughs> there's somebody that speaks into your life that says, wait a second, you're getting out there like my wife says in Dolly land. But the fact of the matter is, the scripture is replete with this truth. If you look at the first, because we have to ask ourselves tough questions, you see, about the restoration, the reconciliation, uh, this new creation. Did, would, would God restore man back to a position with him that was less than what Adam and Eve had before the fall? And these are questions you have to ask yourself and think about and just actually even look at them logically. But then beyond that, you must go to the scriptures and begin to see what God said. He really did. But before the fall, man was a master of this earth. And there's so many scriptures we could go to. You know, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You know, that, that you, you know, when I consider the heavens and the earth and the moon and the stars up above, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou hast created him? And it speaks about, yea, you have made him a little lower, it says, remember, than the angels. But the word there is in angels. It's the word Elohim, and it means the Godhead. And it speaks to the fact that he made man in the same order of being. He's in the God class. I'm trying to walk so carefully. He's in the God class of being. And it says he made him just a little lower. He made him just a little lower than himself. That's just, it's just incredible. Anyhow. But you need to search these scriptures out about this thing. Now, go to page 10 real quick, like I said, because this is where, more or less where we stopped. I've got down there Dr. P.C. Nelson. He was called Dad Nelson. He had like 27 years of study of Greek, ancient, classic, all kinds of stuff. And 
He said in verse 17, the verse that says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He said that actually says the best Greek rendering of, there, of that that there is, is that a new species, it says a new, if any man be in Christ, that there's a new species of being that never existed before that comes into being. That's you. That you're the first person. And remember when we looked at the words created for glory, created means just that. To be, it, There's two different Hebrew words that does not mean something shaped that was already there. It means something brand new that's brought into existence, okay? But like I said, I've got to hurry a little bit now. So before the fall, we were masters of the earth. That's, that's categorically the way it was. After the fall, point B we have down here, there's no more fellowship. Now we see here in Genesis chapter 3, 22 through 24, I'm just going to read from the outline. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I often think about that, what it must have been like. I just made myself a note here. What it must have been like to go instantaneously from a state of perfect innocence to a position of total fear and slavery. I mean, remember the very first attribute that entered into the man when he fell, the very first statement of mankind after the fall is when, at Jesus, when God the Father comes down and walks in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? And Adam is hiding, and he said, I was afraid. Fear is the first thing that enters into man. In other words, this is what I'm trying to say, why we have to begin what we're going to, at some point in the course, of, well, ideally I'm supposed to start on it today, but if not, we're really going to hit it next, next, next Saturday, about the real issue about sin consciousness and what it produces. Wherever there's more consciousness of sin, there's a greater propensity for fear. Wherever there's... Wherever you're talked about sin more and more and more, there's more and more fear that's in your spirit. And fear attracts attack. Faith attracts the blessings of God. Fear attracts attack. Fear attracts all kinds of things that you don't want to attract. And so we have to, what, ha what God's intent is, again, it is that if we ever get the revelation of what he's really done, well, that's what 1 John says, that a mature understanding of love will drive out every trace of terror and expel every trace of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Because he does not want you to be motivated by fear. He doesn't want you to be afraid of life. He doesn't want you to be afraid of anything. Because God's not afraid of anything. Can you think of anything God's afraid of? God's not afraid of zip, trust me. <laughs> and God has come to live on the inside of us. And so there's supposed to be a boldness in us and authority, not an arrogance. See, this is again why you... Why we teach the love walk first and all that. Because a lot of people get a hold of the truth. I, I'm going to keep saying this, but they don't have the grace. And so what comes across is more arrogance than authority. Authority never has to be arrogant in its presentation, ever, ever. Authority, you either have it or you don't. You don't get authority at Tesco's, trust me. But after the fall, there was no more fellowship. Then point C, the, there's all these verses where Jesus and where other the apostles referred to us as slaves. That before the born again experience, we were slaves. No more masters but slaves. John 8, 44 is where Jesus is rebuking some of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he said, you belong to your father, the devil. 
Now, these are the top religious leaders of the day, so you know that made them happy. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Now, listen to this. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. I, I love to teach on that and another little thing sometimes, but that's what hell speaks. <laughs> you know, and it's like, if you, I remember, you know, you counsel with people sometimes. They'll say, well, you know, the devil told me. And I said, well, what do you, you know, what, what? So, okay, you just said the devil told me. What are you listening to him for? He, his native language is lies. He's abided. He's a murderer from the beginning. That's all he ever says is lies. This is why I have a struggle sometimes with all these guys that are devil chasers and everything. Some of the deliverance, there's a, trust me, deliverance is a valid ministry. But some of these guys, you know, where they have you call out 35 devils and talk to devils for four hours. And well, Jesus said that their native language is lies. So what do you, what do you, you know, so you're listening to all this stuff and you're categorizing all this stuff. Well, this devil said this, and the, but he said right here, his native language is lies. So you have to have more, you have to not hear with this ear when you deal with people like that. You have to hear with this. And you have to know how to come in the opposite spirit. But anyhow, no more masters but slaves after the fall. Romans 6, verse 17 and 20, Paul said, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves. Uh, just really hear that because this is what we're trying to get us, we're trying to build towards to see what we're not anymore. It says, remember here, he said, You used to be a slave to sin. Now, some of you that were in the first course will remember my illustration about a block of concrete, like a 10-ton a, a block of concrete, which is the sin principle, and being chained to it. And no matter how good you were in life, if this is if this 10-ton this piece of concrete and you're chained to it, you may get out here, you may get out here, you may live good out here, but your life, no matter how, whatever you do, makes no difference. Before Christ, your life was still chained to the sin principle. To the sin nature. You were a slave to this thing, whether you wanted to be or not, because that's what happened, because death passed upon all men, Romans 5. By one man's disobedience, death passed into all men. So you were chained to this thing. This is what happened, like I said, with the fall. I'm not going to read any more of it, like it says, because we're going to get to this later. Ephesians 2.12, remember that at that time, at that time, and he's talking about the time before Christ, you were separate from Christ and excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and you were without God. You were without God in the world. Now, when we teach them blood covenant, we'll talk about this a lot because again, to be a stranger to the covenants, to not understand covenants because God is a covenant-making God. The language God speaks is covenant. And to understand the Bible, you're going to have to make the decision to understand what covenants are because the language he speaks is covenant. But here he said to be a stranger from the covenant is to be as good as without God or without hope in this world. But now let's look point three at the bottom. We just need to go to the next page, the new birth. What does happen in the new birth? What does scripture actually say? Well, Ephesians 2.19 says, consequently, in fact, let me, let's just turn there in the scriptures. Let me just, because I need to read some of these from the, from the Amplified Bible here now. Ephesians chapter 2. Thank God for the scriptures. Hallelujah. In them you have life, it says. 
you want life, you just get to dive in it like a swimming pool. Hallelujah. Ephesians 2, verse 17, Paul said, And he came, speaking of Jesus, of course, and he preached the glad tidings of peace to you who were afar off, and peace to those who were near. For it is through him that we both, whether far off or near, and that's speaking about us in the future, and that's us today. For it is through him that we both, whether far off or near, now have an introduction or an access by one Holy Spirit to the Father, so that we are able to approach him. Verse 19, therefore, you are no longer outsiders. You're no longer an exile, a migrant, or an alien, excluded from the rights of citizens. But you now share citizenship with the saints, God's own people, consecrated and set apart for himself, and you belong to God's own household. Hallelujah. Like I said, we say that so often, I don't know that we grasp it. It's like, and again, I'm going to throw this the same illustration out probably all year long because I want it to get into your hearts. I've got a son. I've got a daughter. My son's name is Jamie. My daughter's name is Anna. When they lived in my household, well, they're still my children today, though they don't live in my household. But the point is this. When my daughter sinned or she disobeyed me, I did not kick her out of the house. When my daughter disobeyed me and did things, when my son did things that I disagreed with and he sinned against his father, our fellowship was hindered, but our relationship remained intact. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? My son is my son. My daughter is my daughter because they're born from my loins and born from my household. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And I am, they're, they're part of me. They'll always be part of me. And woe unto anybody else that tries to correct my kids, especially when they were young. Do you understand? You know, if I, if I walked in a room and when Anna was five years old or six years old and I saw one of you and maybe she'd misbehaved and saw one of you spanking her, you know, you would have a real problem with me real quick. <laughs> real quick because you have no authority. You have no relationship that authorizes you or de you know, to, to deal with my daughter. And you have to catch those things because, see, a lot of people think God licensed the devil to do things to his children. That's the most stupid, foolish consideration you could ever have. He's the, he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. Now, listen, God corrects us today through his word. That's what Jesus said in John 15. Now are you clean through the word which I've spoken in you? Correction, admonition, and all this stuff comes from, from the word of God is where it's supposed to come. But in this new birth, it says here, Paul said in Ephesians 2.19, I'll read it from the King James now, or the NIV on the outline. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you're fellow, you're fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. You have come into citizenship. Now, because there's people in this room, I mean, like myself, I'm an American citizen. I've been offered, you know, I can get naturalized and become a British citizen if I want to. I've chosen not to just because of situations that I have to deal with in America. But the point is, you know that if I was to accept citizenship, two things would happen. First, I would, be, I would have the right of anybody. Would I not have the right of anybody that was naturally born here? If you're actually granted citizenship of a nation, doesn't that mean that you are granted the same rights that, attribute, that, are, that should be attributed to anybody that was naturally born in this nation? Isn't that what it stands for? Well, listen to this. In Christ, 
you have been granted citizenship and you've become members of God's own household. You are sons and daughters of God. Now, this is why, you know, I go nuts because I, I want to teach 4,000 messages at the same time. And I so love, love talking about just the fatherhood of God. God is your father. And you've got to get a fresh picture and a real revelation of uh, no matter how bad any earthly father was, this is the father from whom all fatherhood takes his name. And God is altogether good. And God has all the resources that you could, this, our father has all the resources that could ever be contained. And it's the father's good pleasure to give good gifts unto his children. But see, we are so diminished in our faith by wrong teaching and by, oh, I don't know, people teaching you to, to weigh scriptures with experiential knowledge that, again, like I said, faith is the currency. We were on prayer on Thursday night when I'm teaching on that. I don't get mad at me. It's just the truth. Things don't happen because people don't understand the principles of faith. In this world right now, we exchange money to get other goods. Money is the currency that we use. There's different currency, but the currency of heaven is faith. That's what the Bible teaches. You use faith. You go to heaven in faith. That's how you got saved, isn't it? It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's faith that's the currency that brought something from the realm of the spirit into the realm of the physical or into the realm of the natural. And man, I'm telling you, you have to really, without faith, it is impossible to live for God. And like he said, as it is written, the just shall live from faith to faith. And what, that's what it means. The initial step of faith, like it says, that initial, I made the decision through faith to believe that Jesus is the son of God, born of virgin, died for me, is raised from the dead on the third day. That understanding leads to more faith. Hallelujah. Anyhow. Again, now in this new birth, Galatians 4, 7, Paul says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. I mean, what do you do with that? The Bible said we're heirs, of, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're heirs of God and joint heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That means whatever Jesus Christ has been given or attributes or whatever attributes he has that are heavenly, whatever spiritual anointing, whatever. If we're a joint heir with Jesus Christ, we, according to scripture, have the right to exercise the same things that he exercised. Doesn't it mean that? It has to mean that. And see, it's too late to tell me it doesn't because I've seen it work too many times. So it's just, that's the way it is. And of course, 1 John 5, 4 says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. We used to do this like when we'd teach in churches and we'd upset everybody. We'd say, how many of you people are born of God? And they'd all raise their hands. How many of you want to be world overcomers? They'd all raise their hands. And we'd say, why? <laughs> why do you want to be a world overcomer? If you're born of God, you already are. In other words, we were trying to catch them because we're trying to provoke people to think. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. This is the victory. This is the victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And you know, see, God help us. See, the simplest of verses that we're able to quote so easy, we have them cerebrally. We have them in our heads, but we don't understand them in our hearts. Otherwise, we would live differently. It'd be seen in the way we live. 
The new creation, we've got to it already here, point four, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's what he is. The old is gone, the new has come. The Amplified Bible says, behold, the fresh and the new has come. Thank God for the fresh and new. The New English Bible says, when anyone is united to Christ, there is a new world. The old order has gone and a new order has already begun. The basic English Bible says, so if any man is in Christ, he is in a new world. <laughs> Here's just two little Greek, uh, uh, the words in the Greek there for new and creation. I'm not going to go over them. Kainos, it says it means new, but let, well, let me read this one part. Denotes new of that which is unaccustomed or unused. It's not new in time or recent, but it speaks to being new as to form or quality. In other words, a new creative act. And this is, of course, relates back to what I said Dad Nelson said, a new species of being that never existed before. A new character of manhood, spiritual and moral after, spiritual and moral after the pattern of Christ. And the word creation is, is it's, well, it's pronounced tisis. And it speaks to the creative act in process. It also signifies the product of the creative act or the creature. But nevertheless, what it says is, if you are born again, you have to understand you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just say this. Let me simplify it again real quick. Did your body change when you accepted Jesus? Did it? Did your mind instantaneously change? Every the way, all of your thought, press, thought processes, did they change instantly? No, of course not. But nevertheless, you were a new creation. What part of you became new? Your spirit. That's what, is it, what he prophesied back there in Ezekiel where he said, I'm going to take out of you the heart of stone and place in you a heart of flesh, right? And so this is why, again, we have to understand this. The real you, the you that's going to live forever, you see, this is, this is why, now listen to me, see, don't turn off yet. Don't turn off ever, but <laughs> we're spirit beings that live in a body and have a soul. And we're going to get to all this stuff. But you have to walk in this understanding every day of your life so that you can discern who is trying to speak to you, your soul, your flesh, or your spirit. But you are a spirit. God is a spirit. And what he has done is to your spirit. God's done something to your spirit. And God's faithful in what he's done. He's made you a brand new spirit. Hallelujah. You no longer have the old nature. You're a new creation. A brand new spirit. Fresh, clean slate. Hallelujah. No tarnishes. This is why I see in the Old Testament, remember, sin was atoned for. The word atonement's only in the New Testament one time. But the word atone remembers to cover. It's like if I spilled this tea and there was a stain on the table. If there's a stain on the table and I, let's say there's, okay, there's a stain on the table. That's atonement. Is the stain still there? Stain's still there, isn't it? It's covered, but it's still there. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, our sins aren't atoned for. They've been remitted. They've been washed away. The handwriting of says it's been wiped out. The stain's gone. And that's what happens in the new birth. God gives you a brand new spirit. And that's why then you have to renew your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You have to renew your mind to the word of God. The word remembers metamorpho. 
metamorphosis, to be metamorphosized, to go from one state of understanding. The word metamorphosis is really interesting. It means to be changed in character, thought, conduct, character, thought, conduct, and, and motion. Actually, the word motion is in there. And if this is what happens if your mind actually gets renewed. You think differently and you move in different ways. But you have to renew your mind and you have to do what with your body? He said, be therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that good, that acceptable, and that perfect will of God. And he said, you need to now present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know why it says living sacrifice? Is because we have to throw ourselves on the altar every day and when you're a living sacrifice, you keep trying to crawl off. <laughs> but it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. But see, don't ever doubt, we're talking about your spirit. See, this truth, God's word is spirit. And this word, this is what I'm more interested in. Like I said, I keep praying for impartation more than information. I want you to know that who you really are is who you are in your spirit. Your stupid old head will still think stupid things at times because you're in this world. That hunk of meat body you live in will still respond to outside stimuluses at times because that's what it's been trained to do for years. But you don't derive your identity from your brain or from your body. You derive your identity from your spirit. I am a new creation. Hallelujah. I am. I am Rod. I. The real me. The one that's going to live forever. You know, Thank God this hunk of flesh isn't going to live forever. <laughs> but the real me is going to live forever. This spirit of mine is going to live forever. It's eternal. But I live on a body that has a mind of its own. And I live in a, and I have a brain that has been, that has experienced so many things over its several years that I'm constantly having to keep it renewed. I'm constantly having to subject it and submit it to the word of God so that this word of God might bring metamorphosis, so that I might be renewed in my mind, so that I start thinking differently. But don't ever doubt what's happened in your spirit. And see, this is what we're trying to do, not get the cart before the horses. What most people do, what well-meaning, wonderful pastors and church leaders do, they're spending 95% of their time trying to influence your mind and influence your body but they don't understand that you will never, it's just like in courts when we were, us working in parliament all the time, we tell these MPs all the time, you cannot legislate morality. And you cannot legislate good behavior from a pulpit by only giving people soulish ministry and talking to them about their behavior. If they don't understand what's happening in their spirit, they're going to be what Paul said and what Peter said, trying to get good before God through what's called will worship. That's literally what it's called in 1 Peter. He said, through will worship. And it speaks of strength of mind, willpower. I'm going to be good today. I'm going to be good today. I'm going to be good today. You know what I mean? No, I am good. <laughs> Sorry, I am. Ah, you're looking at somebody that's the righteousness of God. But my flesh now, under, I'm, and this is why we go into Romans so detailed, just like you used to, just like you used to submit your members as servants to unrighteousness because you had no choice. You were slaves. See, now, once you get the revelation of what God's done in Christ, you realize, wait a second, sin shall no longer have dominion over me. Hallelujah. That's good news, sweetheart. Trust me. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. 
And you begin to realize, wait a second, just like I trained, even though I didn't realize that I allowed my flesh and blood body to be trained by outside stimuluses, I responded to the promptings of this evil heart. Now I've got a good heart. And I can do the very same thing in reverse and begin to submit my members as servants to the right standing with God that I have by the new birth. But let me tell you, Hosea 4, 6, God said, my people, my people, remember, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Isaiah 5, 13 says, my people go into captivity and into bondage without even realizing it because they reject my knowledge when it comes to them. So the only reason people are bound is by not having the knowledge or rejecting the knowledge when it's been offered them. We that are called to minister this stuff are called to hold forth the word of life. The Bible says, Paul in the epistles, remember in the pastoral epistles, he said, we that are ministers are to, ought to be apt to teach, patient, instructing, listen to how it's phrased even, instructing those who oppose themselves. We're, we are our own worst enemies. We instruct those who oppose themselves that, listen, that peradventure, are you listening? That peradventure they will acknowledge the truth and recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who takes them captive at his own will. It's just incredible. The truth should make you free. That's all I know. The truth will make you free. Now, down here at point five, Ephesians 2.10, we have now been recreated in Christ for we are his workmanship. I mean, actually, let me just read that from the Amplified because I'm still here in Ephesians 2. Verse 10 says, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated, hallelujah, in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined and planned beforehand for us, that we might take the paths which He's prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he has prearranged and made ready for us to live. And Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ Jesus, how many of you are in Christ Jesus? Well, you all are. In Christ Jesus, you who once were so far away, through and by and in the blood of Christ have been brought near. And we'll read all these other verses again later as well. Next page. Point six, we are no longer in bondage to Satan. Turn to Colossians chapter one real quickly. So I can read it. Colossians 1.13. Listen to this verse. The father has delivered. Now is has past tense, present tense, or future tense? It, it's past tense, isn't it? The father hath delivered us and drawn us to himself out of the control. Now, you got to ask yourself a question. Do I believe this or not? Is this something that God has done for all saints, some saints, or no saints? <laughs> because you have to differentiate between what God has done and what man allows. The Father, as far as heaven is concerned, you have to understand the legal system of heaven. The Father has delivered has delivered and drawn us to himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his dear love. Romans 6, verse 14 and 22, just in the outline, we'll go back to that and we'll just, because I've got to finish here now. It says, For sin shall not any longer 
exert dominion over you, since now you are not under law as slaves, but under grace as subjects of God's favor and mercy. Aren't you glad? Hallelujah. I'm a subject of God's favor. I am not a subject of God's wrath. The wrath of God was expended upon Jesus Christ, Romans 5 says. I am now subject of God's favor. Would you quit trying to get back under wrath when God's already done it to Jesus and you don't have to worry about the wrath of God, not if you're saved. But now since you've been set free, but now since you have been, everybody say, I have been. Since you have been set free from sin. <laughs> so you have to say this before you believe it, before you feel it. I don't know how to say it any other way than saying, I have been set free. I'm not going to be, I've been set free from sin. But now since you have been set free from sin and have become the slaves of God, you have your present reward in holiness. <laughs> oh, people hate this, but the Bible says, now are you holy? I used to have students say, say this with me. I am holy. And everybody go, I'd have them, I'd lead them through some first. I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I want to be whatever. I want to be, and I'd say, now say this with me. I am the healed. I am the healed. And then I'd say, now, and I just throw it in there. I'm holy. And they go, I'm holy. Anyhow. No, but now since you have been set free from sin or become the slaves of God, you have your present reward and holiness and its end is eternal life. And this is where we'll lead off now as we start in the next hour. Father, we thank you for this much and we trust your spirit to guide us into more and more truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.